Joanne Worley, and you're listening to TV Confidential. Woo! Be quiet! Do you think God is watching us? God has a TV set. <laughs> he watches us on it. Whatever I think he's watching me. I always sing and dance and do a commercial for myself. <laughs> Tell me something, lady. Do you believe God made the world in six days? Edith, no, I don't know. I'm, honey, I'm not sure. That's what they say. People say God made the whole world in six days. And now he takes Sundays off, while the rest of us have to get up and go to church. <laughs> and that's the truth. Ed Roberts with a reminder that we will replay our conversation with Will Ryan, Nick, Santa Maria, and Michael Schlesinger later on in this Hour. We hope you stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Tony Figueroa and Donna Allen are with us via Zoom, along with our guest, Jim Abel. Jim spent about three years as a staff writer for Rowan and Martin's Laughing. He also wrote material, solo material uh, for such artists as Lily Tomlin, Cass Elliott, and the Doobie Brothers. You can follow Jim on Facebook. One thing I, I, I can tell your listeners, if they have a creative idea... Don't send it to anybody if it's a manuscript or a movie script or a TV show idea or something like that. Send it to a copy of it to the Writers Guild, and they will they will stamp it with the Writers Guild seal and put it in the vault for 10 years so that you can somebody can't say, no, that's our show, we came up with it, and you say, oh, well, wait a minute, and I'm glad I did that because it, it really helps have confidence in sending some material out there in the kind of the void and uh, worrying about it getting ripped off. Yeah, and plus it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Back in the day, you can approach a Harvey Corman or you, you can approach someone with the network and they might consider reading your material, whereas today it's almost it's impossible to do that because there are so many protocols. Yeah, yeah and not, not just protocols, but so many people are liable to have, you know, take it as an assault because we'd really have to be careful going up to anybody in the restaurant, let alone a celebrity. They've probably been assaulted by, not the not in that case, but by, an, you know, somebody that wants to do them harm, let's put it that way. Yeah. And I'm sorry to see how that kind of thing has happened than it did then. I know most studios today, any unsolicited materials that come through are returned unopened. Yeah, and that, that's true. Itself. Yeah, I think Gary Marshall was probably the last person to take a script from somebody that he bumps into on the street. Uh, well, actually, in a way, he sort of took a script from me and had his first TV series. And I'm kind of paraphrasing my memory here. When I was writing Laughing, one of the other writers was John Carson, not Johnny Carson. John Carsey. He was, that, that writer was married to Marcy Percy, if you know who she is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Roseanne Cosby. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one, of the, one of the biggest names in, in television. And she wasn't in TV yet, but because of her husband, she got a job with Roger Gimble, who was the executive producer of the Smothers Brothers show, to work in Roger Gimble's office as a reader of scripts and things, ideas. That was a full-time job, and she was great at it. She was talented. And uh, so one of the things I turned in was, it was called, I maybe I shouldn't even tell you the name of it, but I took it to Roger Gimble. And uh, Roger Gimble, he liked it. And so 
but Gary Marshall called, was a friend of Marcy Carsey, and he, he says, I need an idea, I need some. She goes, okay, how about a couple of guys come to Earth and do a thing? And he says, well, that's kind of been done. How about if it's a couple? And that was a brilliant idea, and that's, that was Mark and Mindy. Marcy Carsey didn't work for, after that, she didn't work for Roger Gimbel, who's with Gimbel's of New York, Mason's and Gimbel's. Yeah. They're, they're from that family, at least Mark, Roger Gimbel was. But Marcy Carsey and I remained friends over the years because John Carsey was her husband. I like that I'm laughing. Let me ask you, I have a, a little bone to pick with the city of Burbank. Everyone credits, I know Burbank is like the perfect geographical punchline. But um, everyone credits Johnny Carson with putting Burbank on the map. And I don't want to take anything away from the King of Late Night, but I've always thought Gary Owens was really the person who should be credited for putting Burbank on, you know, next to Luther Burbank. Uh, yeah, I, he, but he, there, there should be a statue in the town square of Gary Owens somewhere in the city of Burbank. There's a Johnny Carson Park, there's a Bob Oak Drive, but yeah. Gary Owens gets no love. Gary Owens was the first person to say beautiful downtown Burbank, and everybody thought that was funny because if you know Burbank, it's basically as Warner Brothers Studio and Lockheed. My father worked at Lockheed. <laughs> you know, so we didn't live in Burbank because that, you know, who wants to live in Burbank? Yeah. I, think, I think smog first started in Burbank. Today they don't have much smog, but uh, wow. Anyway, one time we had a parade there. They gave a parade for laughing because we made Burbank popular. It actually became a tourist attraction. And so uh, we're on a, a what must have been a flatbed for a, a parade. You know, where you put a band on it and stuff. We're all up on there waving and throwing, laughing, scratch pads and stuff. And uh, the mayor comes walking up the ramp and, ha and he's in a top hat and he hands me a, a big key to the city of Burbank. And I wish I had that key, but Slaughter Friendly got the key. <laughs> but it was just, it was funny that my dad's working there as an, as an antenna research technician. And I'm getting the key to the city for being an active, acting like a nut, like I always did at home. And I don't think people fully appreciate the history of Burbank, because, yeah, you had Warner Brothers and you had Disney, but Lockheed was like the biggest yeah. employer. There's a street called Victory Boulevard, and I, I believe that had to do with, you know, all of our war efforts in, in World War II. And before that, it was all farmland. So it was, I'd say, crucial for going around the war. Yeah, uh, right around the corner on Ethel Avenue from the Victory Drive-In. We used to walk down there and sneak in. Just before dark, they had playgrounds up by the screen. And, you know, of course, it's families with their kids in there, and some are in the snack bar, and some are using their restrooms. But we're down there kind of just sitting in, the, in these benches that were there. And when it got dark, the movie started. And it wasn't the best way to watch a movie, but it was sure widescreen. <laughs> I, we had fun. This, yeah, you mentioned the Victory Drive-In. This is related to Burbank only insofar as, I think because of Laugh-In, Warner Brothers and other studios were beginning to use Burbank and Toluca Lake as location yeah. stuff yeah. For, yeah. for other TV shows. And it's kind of fun to watch stuff from the 60s and 70s. I've been down here long enough. If there's an establishing shot of Patty's, you know, the old, the old style restaurant. Hey, that's Patty's. I know that. I've been there. Or the old Victory Drive-In. So it's kind of, it's, and I, yeah. I think in a way we owe that to laughing. Wait a minute. Yeah. The Victory Drive-In. Were you in a white 50 Pontiac? <laughs> 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 but, but, you know, Burbank also across from Warner Brothers is the famous Forest Lawn Cemetery, which right. I know Johnny Carson 
did a lot of monologue jokes about that. You know, so yeah, so you have a defense plan in a cemetery kind of bordering the, the, the community. You know, my writing partner at Lappin was Chet Dowling. And we, we also got a, a job with Paramount on the uh, Love American style. For the whole season, we did the little blackout jokes that go in between the episodes. In a 60-minute hour, there was uh, three stories about love, mm -hmm. comedy. And in between those, and with the, and on each side of the credits, was another blackout. Somewhere yeah. in a yeah, western the, the street. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that uh, Stuart Margolin and Jim Hampton and yeah, uh, exactly. se yeah, several other uh, actors would appear. The, the in-between stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so to write those, getting back to Chet was an East Coast kind of guy. He said, let's go up to Forest Lawn. I want to see Forest Lawn. And so we took a drive around Forest Lawn, and he said, we should come back here and write the blackouts, right amongst these people like Laurel and Hardy. I mean, you can't put that if you've ever been there, but it's as a tour thing. We're yeah. talking this before they had the sidewalk of fame, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. That was really like, a, you know, tombstones of the movie industry. So we sat up there and wrote really good stuff, I think. And it was inspirational to be where Charlie Chaplin or where... So you were truly right. inspired by the spirits of the great comedians who, who, who lay in repose. <laughs> now you're laughing at me. No. Yeah. No, but I think that's great. I, I think that's true, too, yeah. I mean, the few times that I have been there, you can't help but stumble on some celebrity if you are on the property for whatever reason. Lucy was there for a while. Uh, she yeah. got relocated to uh, Jamestown. I've, I've stumbled onto Stan Laurel and the Barachi and all these famous people. Yeah, so it is inspiring. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Jim Abel is with us via Zoom today, along with Tony Figueroa and Don Allen. Jim Abel, longtime staff writer for Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. Jim also wrote one of Lily Tomlin's earliest comedy albums. Plus, as he mentioned, he and his Partner Chet Downing wrote many of the blackout sketches from Love American Style. So let's see, uh, besides those blackouts, they never done it their own category of a listing for a nomination of an Emmy or such. But I think that some of those are classics, and I'm not just because I wrote them, but because people say, oh, did you write the one where king-sized bed, it's a brass bed, comes rolling down the hill, and they blah, 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 blah. Yeah, oh, that's my favorite joke. And this is before you get copies of these shows, so it's kind of neat. Yeah, with, with many of them, speaking of the blackout sketches from Love American Style, a lot of them were visual. So you, you had to watch the 60 second, the 30 second. You know, it's, it's not like you could be washing the dishes and waiting for the punchline because you had to watch the, the entire show. So that's why we never wash dishes. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned earlier we're talking about working with Rowan and Martin. Now, Goldie Hawn was on the show at the time you joined Artie Johnson. Did you work with any of the individual performers, you know, tailoring stuff for them? How did that work? Well, you, when you write a bit, you don't show it to them first. You have to show it to the producers and the director to make sure they want to do it, can do it, doesn't cost a fortune to do it, and then they get to see it when it's already been approved by the staff. But they have a say in it, but they don't have to say anything. You know, Artie would just let us do what we did. And Artie's brother, Coslow Johnson, was a writer on the show. He's also the guy that comes off the bus, a Burbank, beautiful downtown Burbank bus pulls up, the doors open, and out comes 
everybody thought it was Artie Johnson on the tricycle and crashes to the ground with a right with a yellow raincoat on. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but it's, it's oh, yeah. kind of, and uh, but that's Coslow doing it. No way Artie was going to do that. You know, his brother was a stuntman and a writer and a darn good writer, I must say. Uh, it's just fun to work with people like that. You know, it's you worry about not being able to. You're going to deliver, you know what I mean? But that's in any business. It's like that. If you're, you know, if you had four gold records, you're not sure you're going to have another one. Not that I have four gold records. I don't have any gold records. Although I did an album with Lily Tomlin, for Lily Tomlin, and Chet and I wrote that along with Lily. She played it. Lily played this little girl that would sit in a giant rocking chair, which was made the size of it, making her making Lily look small. Edith Ann. And that's the truth, exactly. So that was fun. We recorded that at the Ice House in Pasadena, which is kind of your neck of the woods, isn't it? Yeah, the Ice House is still with us. It is. Great. It was a good place. It was just enough to get a, a, a crowd reaction without having a mob of people in place. So, you know, and the sound was good. You know, the acoustics were really good in the Ice House. For, so that's where Lily's... And that's the truth album was recorded. So in a case like Lily, you're taking characters that she either created on Laughing or before Laughing, and you're helping her develop it into, you know, a 60 minute, 90 minute show. Well, what I liked was when she came to us, she sent a tape and several of the writers and the producer knew about her from just in the theater comedy. And she was playing at the downstairs at the upstairs, or I can remember, I remember it was the upstairs at the downstairs. Upstairs at the downstairs, yeah. She was kind of a regular there, uh-huh. and they taped her one day, and she sent it to us, and we watched it, and it was unanimous. Let's invite her to be on the show, and she accepted, thank God. She's incredible. The stuff she could do, the characters, we just cracked it. Like in the cocktail party, everybody would be dancing around and cut and stop the music and then somebody would say a line. She'd just stand there as the proper lady and looking, you know, at all the different people. Girls, what are they wearing? They ain't wearing a bathing suit. But, I mean, what's written all over them? Well, those are <laughs> body graphics. No, I never saw something. She was great. She is great. She's still doing great. Yes, she is. Yes, she is. Yeah. I was just thinking about the cocktail party because you had Lily Tomlin as the proper woman. You had Henry Gibson as... A priest, yeah, talking about the church, and over at the Smothers Brothers, who was it? Um, David Steinberg used to get in trouble for religious material, but did Henry Gibson ever get in trouble with the Catholic Church for dressing as a priest and speaking on behalf of the church? And usually, Artie Johnson was a Russian character, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right, Svastinko. I can't even say the name. But... And then Sammy Davis Jr. Would also be like his brother in a, in a bit. I mean, yeah. it was like Sammy could keep up with everybody in that cast and still have oh, energy left over. And he was so grateful to have something written for him that worked for him because anything he, he said, and up to that point, almost everything he wrote was musical, not jokes. Ruth Buzzy, Gladys Ormsby was a character she played on the park bench mm-hmm. and Artie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and she'd hit him with her purse because yes. he'd say, yeah. Yeah, we should go down there and have a, you know, it's an innuendo is all it was, but she'd whap him with the, across the chest with her purse, and about the third whack, he'd keel over, and she'd get up and leave in disgust, and people loved that. I did. We used to have a, one of the camera guys say, you know what, we, we do like nine shows a day sometimes, and your show is the only one we laugh at every time. He says some of them 
you sit there and watch them and they, they're not going to make it because it's really not that clever. But other shows that were done at MEC, of course, I wouldn't mention any shows that the public speaks. That's the neat thing. If you're not funny, you're not going to get laughs. Mm -hmm. If you're a singer, you may be a great singer, but between you and me, you may love that singer and I may not. That's the scary part. But the great thing about comedy, if it's funny, people laugh. Yeah, if and they don't laugh, get, get in a different business. Yeah, and you anticipated something I want to ask you. because you, you mentioned Sammy was really appreciative that you wrote something for him. It's very tricky whether you're doing a laugh-in or whether you're doing a variety special where you've got different guest stars you've got to write material for. Yep. Like, say, if you've got a Joel Grey, at that time he would have been cabaret. So it's easy to make a just, just a joke about life is a cabaret and just have him say it. But it takes a little more effort if you get to know the performer a little bit to the extent you can and write something that's based on something you learned from them and that makes it authentic and all the more funny. Yeah, absolutely. Artie Johnson, when he would part the palm trees and say, very interesting in a Nazi outfit, when you think about how few years that was from World War II and atrocities that happened, amazing that the country could come around to, you know, laughing at the character but not belittling him. I mean, he was belittling the show. Very interesting, but not funny. But, it was a wonderful catchphrase, and I remember when they did the crossover with I Dream of Genie, that was the running gag through the entire episode. Yeah. Yeah, and then Judy Carr with Socket to Me, so they got to, you know, use all their all the shtick. But yeah, I mean, he had gold with that, and I think that, and Tyrone. But yeah. I remember seeing some outtakes of Artie Johnson and Bob Hope, and it was just the two of them zinging each other. It was hysterical, and I wish that could have made the show. Yeah. Um, it was a line. Every Christmas I baited for you. I thought it was at the time just hysterical, and it broke up Bob Hope. So you knew that it, you know he he had something there. <laughs> and, yeah, and then Bob Hope taking a whiff of his cigarette, going, "Well, now we know why you lost the war." <laughs> and <laughs> yeah, that was. So you knew Bob Hope could get down with the counterculture if he if he wanted to. Yeah. Jim Abel is with us via Zoom. Jim Abel, one of the staff writers for Rowan and Martin's Laughing. Jim will be back on our next program for part two of our conversation. We'll talk some more about the cultural impact of Rowan and Martin's Laughing when it originally aired on NBC and the legacy of the show today. We'll also talk about some of the Jim's other work as a comedy writer, including the time he wrote original material for the Doobie Brothers during one of their live tours. We'll talk some more with Jim Abel on the next edition of TV Confidential. In the meantime, you can follow Jim Abel on Facebook. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast. You can enjoy This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Megaphone and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk tvconfidential.net talk at tvconfidential.net you can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential x.com forward slash tvconfidential or at tvconfidential on instagram and if you're listening to us on the tv confidential podcast please be sure to hit the subscribe button this portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain 
at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.